On this week's full-time roundup, the U.S. get taught a lesson in Hartford. Danny and Matt get into a heated debate over the top five best teams in Europe. France and Portugal remain unbeaten. No Messi, no problem for Argentina and more. Full-time roundup kicks off right now. Welcome into another edition of the full-time roundup. I'm Matt Gesslin, joined as always by my good friend Daniel Brackett. We've got a lot to cover with you guys today, as well as a few announcements we want to share with you guys. But first, Daniel, how are you doing today after a nice fall weekend here in the Carolinas? I'm doing good. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, nice fall day out here. We're at Heist Brewery in Noda, outside. Still, still nice to be outside. A little sweatshirt and, and shorts action. Can today. smell the bennies coming from next door, which Jeez. is very tempting. Um, got a beer, Czech Pilsner. We both do. So, cheers on that one. And uh, yeah, well, my weekend was good, but I uh, watched some of the ugliest football, and it was the other football, and I was talking to my friends who don't like soccer as much, and I said, you can never tell me that shit is <laughs> more fun to watch than European soccer. And they actually agreed with me, so that was a moral victory for me. Moral victory, we slowly are trying to convert people one, one episode at a time, one game at a time. Of course, it's cooling down here in the Carolinas, but uh, the action on the pitch, Daniel, continues to heat up. We had a nice little break for ourselves. Uh, thanks, folks, for, for bearing with us for an extra day. We needed it. Uh, but back right to it. Of course, the big match that we were watching over the weekend was USA versus Germany, Daniel. Decent match to start, but in the blink of an eye, Germany just flipped the switch, and um, the game was over, essentially. Yeah, it, it sure was, and... That first 30 minutes did look promising. Um, you get a moment of brilliance from Christian Pulisic and just an absolute heat-seeking missile to the upper 90. Um, we we started on the front foot like we probably should at home. Um, and in Germany, we're missing key players. So before we kind of get really into it, they were missing Kimmich and among others. And and it showed. And, and then Leo Sané kind of came to life and was exposing the left side of our defense. And uh, it kind of went downhill from there. Yeah, he's been, and we talked about his form uh, for Bayern Munich as well and, and being reconnected with his old manager and, and Julian Nagelsmann, who's of course taking over the German national team, at least through, through the European championships in the summer. Where he goes next, we'll see. But uh, Sané just absolutely was undressing players. Uh, Serginho Dest, who of course generally plays on the right-hand side, and, and no Jedi Robinson out there to, to kind of, you know, have a more of an interesting matchup. I think that would have been fun to see Jedi versus Leroy. It yeah. definitely hurt. Yeah. Um, but Leroy Sané was, like I said, just uh, made Serginho Dest look kind of childish out there, and and of course uh, Jam Jamal Musiala gets a goal as well, and uh, they go up three-one, and and you know it was a pretty dominating second half by the Germans, and um, concerning for me. You know, bigger picture U.S. men's national team is, is just Greg's um, record against European squads. And, of course, we were very quick to bring him back. And, uh, you know, we ended up going out to a European team in the World Cup as well. And for me, for me, Daniel, I, you know, how, what what is the long-term project here? And, and is Greg Berhalter really the guy that we need to be thinking about for, for the future? He's definitely not, not the guy. And... And if Germany fielded their, their full, strong XI, this would be one thing, but they didn't. And and we fielded the strongest XI we, we could have available. And and the Anthony Robinson hurt because Sergio Dest is, is fantastic at, at certain qualities. And breaking down a low block um, like we do in CONCACAF a lot is, is a great place for him to play. But when you play someone where... You, you can't have those defensive liabilities kind of taken advantage of. Playing him on the left against Leo Rosane was probably the dumbest thing you could do because, I mean, Sané is a top three winger in the world right now, and, and he, made, he made it so. And he would just cut in every time on his left, and there would be no pressure applied, and, and we kind of saw what, what kind of happened from there. So, Greg, you know, one, you see one manager make some halftime tweaks, some mid-game tactic, tactical switches, and, and one coach didn't, and... and the coach that did make the switches won the game pretty comfortably at that. And, and Florian Bolligan with less than 20 touches, yes, he did get an assist. I don't even know if you can count that. As Christian kind of did most of that. Yeah, but uh, that's what, his third game in a row where he's had almost no part to play. And, 
and Greg continues to struggle to get our nines into into play, and, and that's as our most talented player or second or third most talented player, that's very concerning for me. Yeah, and you mentioned, of course, you know, how beneficial a player like Serginho Dest is for CONCACAF competition, but ideally you're looking at this from a world perspective, especially 2026, we're hosting the World Cup, so we'll yep. be in it. You know, you're going to be playing the likes of Germany or Ghana, who we play on Tuesday night, uh, tonight as we're recording this. Um, you know, that's really where your, your competition and your test is going to be against. And honestly, you know, there's players like Tim Ream, who we've talked about, you know, shouldn't be in this roster anymore. And um, Sergino Dest for me is another one, especially as we start playing more tougher competitive the competition. Are starting. Yeah, uh, I would say, well, Tim Ream probably not on the roster. But Serginho okay. Dest definitely not starting, but okay. could be come in or or even could play a little bit higher up the pitch as like a wing back if we needed to. Like the but wing back, I I'm, I'm putting I'm picking up what you're putting down. Yeah. like a five in the back. Right, five two three. But or something. for for him to be that that sole right back is is not a is not going to be a setup for success for this squad going forward, especially tougher competition. I agree. I do think Tim Ream is our best center back, so I do think even though with his age he he is old, but I do think that we still need him. Uh, to kind of transition into Copa America next year and then the World Cup the year after that, or two years from now, excuse me, for the Copa America. But uh, we, we haven't really, we mentioned a couple times, but I, I also think John Brooks would have helped here, and, and he's been shunned by Greg for, for past quarrels, and, and you're kind of seeing our defense look really shaky because um, Rich, Chris Richards hasn't stepped up to the spot yet, and uh, you got a 37-year-old or 35-year-old Tim Ream. So I'd like to see Brooks bring, uh, brought back in the fold, and we'll get to see Carter Vickers tonight probably, and maybe Miles Robinson or Walker Zimmerman. But those, they don't – maybe Carter not Vickers. Our, not our strongest position. No. Um, and and you, we've talked about this before, and, and hopefully that – that does develop as we get into, you know, a couple years away from the World Cup. Of course, you mentioned uh, Copa America. There's there's those tournaments that will be very important as well for development. Of course, uh, you look at the European side of things in Germany, and uh, they needed this win. Uh, they've been they've been struggling. They they lost most recently to Japan four to one, and then of course you know Nagelsmann coming in and taking the role. Of course, they are automatically qualified for the Euros, which are, are hosted in Germany in, in July, so they don't have to worry about that. But, Daniel, there is a lot of European qualifying going on in this international window. The last three games, as we're recording this again, down to two games now uh, with, with teams playing today, um, you know, the tournament starts in July. Uh, these games matter. You know, uh, we're really at the nitty-gritty last, like I said, next window in November is the final window for for these matches and, and teams to qualify for this tournament, arguably maybe the second most important tournament in the world if you want to look at it that way. One of my favorites. One of sure. a lot of people's favorites. Um, and we, we, you know, there there are teams that have qualified. Uh, France, of course. Um, you know, Spain qualifying as well. But Daniel, you know, there's a, a lot of wide open groups here. A lot of groups to still be determined. A lot of spots still up for grabs. Any, you know, I know we can run through all the groups here individually, but any any one particular group that stands out to you, um, or do we want to just go group by group and, and see where we're at? I'm down to do a little rapid fire group by group, and we can kind of the, let the conversation develop as, as we go. I feel like that'll be kind of natural. So with Group A, we have, you, you mentioned Spain. We had Spain, and they, they qualified, and Scotland have officially qualified as of today. Um, so great for Scotland. This is you haven't seen a good Scotland team a long as time. As far as I've been, as yeah, I, since as '98 I've, World you know, Cup was the last time they made a, a relatively important competition, from my understand, my my recollection. Absolutely, which I think disqualifies Norway, which is a big shock uh, for you know Holland and Odegaard fans, and and they do have a lot of talent there, young talent at that. But hey, that's another tough, tough result for Norway. It is. It's still a developing country in the world of football, so I think there's the, the future's bright. They have um, Oscar Bob as well, another young yep. player. Man City. Man City. Yeah. Um, you mentioned, obviously, Holland and Odegaard, so some pieces there. Of course, we, there's probably other players that we haven't that touched Nusa on. That Nusa kid from, uh, is it Belgium? He's playing in Belgium for, I think, Brugge right now. He's he's a good player. So they'll be, they'll be strong in the future. I think the future's bright for Norway. Of course, Bob Bradley now managing that squad as well, so I miss take that. that for what it's worth. I miss that um, But it, you know, Scotland, Scotland qualifying. They're they're a decent squad. They have some good players. Uh, Spain, obviously, you know, caught up, and, and we knew that they were going to win this group. But um, Scotland, Scotland, Spain, pretty much what I was expecting. Yeah. So, so 
I, I wonder if Holland gets confused with the coaches seeing the bald head from back from Pep Guardiola to Bob Bradley. What a what an interesting coach switch that is. So I just I wanted to make Well he that knows practice there. is definitely different, so he knows which is which for <laughs> yeah. sure. They're definitely not the same type of caliber of manager, but the baldness definitely may throw him for a loop. I'd love to hear his thoughts, be a fly in the wall in that locker room. But uh going to group B, you know, France, perfect start. Congratulations on your qualification and and the Dutch are three points back, and it was a little touch-and-go for the Dutch uh, this qualifying campaign. We've seen them struggle in recent years since probably 2014, so any, any thoughts here? Uh, I apologize for anyone who watched that game yesterday versus Greece. That might have been one of the most boring matches I've ever watched, Whoa. to be honest. Um, typical of Greece and the way Greece play, of course. You know, they won the European competition with playing this type of boring, put-you-to-sleep type of style. Um, Honestly, Daniel, Netherlands have been really disappointing. I think this is one of the surprises for me, Ronald Koeman coming in. And, of course, his, his issues at Barcelona. Uh, but he seems to be an international type of manager. Of course, they have a lot of injuries, Memphis Depay out, Frankie de Jong out. Um, so they'll, they'll be stronger, I think. But they, they're missing a lot of those key players that you expect from a Dutch, a Dutch side traditionally that you know, makes them one of the perennial powers. Uh, what will happen by, by the summer, we'll see. Uh, but, you know, they, they need to show me a lot more um, than what they showed me yesterday if they're going to really compete and be one of those arguably top five clubs or nations in, in Europe, which they perennially have been in the past. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not that big of a fan of, of Koeman, to be honest. Um, I don't blame him for his Barca stint either, so that's not even like a biased bias take from me. But I will say that this game was hilarious because I didn't realize – the Benfica, ex-Benfica keeper and Nottingham Forest keeper now, Odysseus, is Greece. And I thought that is the most perfect Greece name you could ever have. And he did save the PK from Bout Veghurst, and, and Virgil van Dijk had to come and save the day and, and stop his time with a late penalty. So so they got it done, and, and it seems like they will qualify, but uh, they need to pick up performances or it's going to be an early crash out in the uh, Euros this summer. Yeah, and of course another team that um, secured their place as well, which uh, we didn't touch on, is England in, in Group C, beating Italy today 3-1, to which is an impressive win. Uh, of course, Italy going up 1-0, and, and then England coming back with um, a Jude Bellingham essentially set up for Harry Kane on the first penalty to tie it, and then he also assisted in, in Marcus Rashford's go-ahead win, game-winning goal. So England are also in as well. Italy, Daniel, fighting with Ukraine. Uh, which is a, kind of a, an interesting dynamic. Ukraine come back and beat Malta. So that really sets up for the last match of the, the group here, which is Italy versus Ukraine. That's going to be basically a game for a spot at the Euros, it seems like. Yeah, that, we're, all eyes are going to be on that match, and, and you're hoping that Italy have their star power that time because they were missing a bunch of players today, like Sandro Tonali, among others. So if, if Italy can get healthy, I, I would back them in that match. Uh, Spalletti's start of his Italian career has gone well other than this game, which is against Italy. You're missing a bunch of guys. What, what can you do? But I do think that they will be able to to bounce back. But if Ukraine, you know, progress, what a story that will be with all the chaos that's happened in their country. Yeah, and of course, you mentioned everything that's going on there. It would be great to see them part of the tournament. They haven't been playing any of their qualification games at home, which is, of course, uh, you know, a disadvantage, disadvantage to yeah. them. Uh, so it would be a great story. You do expect a team um, like Italy, though, with the pedigree that they had, of course, winning the last European you know, championship to qualify. Uh, did miss the World Cup, though, so uh, you know, it would be pretty, pretty disheartening and demoralizing for the Azzurri if they missed the World Cup and then consecutively missed the Euro. So my, my money, unfortunately, is still on Italy, but it will be a good story if Ukraine do, do advance. Um, a, a bigger story, though, Daniel, could be a semi-finalist and a finalist of the last two World Cups could miss the European qualif European Championship, and that is Croatia. Um, Turkey sit atop Group D t standings right now, and Wales is tied with Croatia uh, right behind them for, for second place. This, of course, has been a golden generation for Croatia, and that, that era seems to be getting a little older, but... Um, thoughts of Croatia miss out on a, on a major tournament. I mean, they've rung out every single last bit of Modric and, and Rakitic and, and Perisic is out now. So, I mean, that, that golden generation, even Lovren's getting up there in age. So all those 
all those experienced veterans who kind of carried them throughout the 2015 to 2022 are kind of just I can't even believe that Modric is still playing. Uh, just how old is 38? 38? He's I think like 37, something 38, like something yeah. like that. Yeah. And and Rakitic did retire, and so uh, I'm I'm not exactly surprised by their struggles. But you'd like to see maybe like a Kovacic and and some of the young Croatian talent that is budding at this moment to kind of step up, and they kind of failed to do so. I will say if they do make this tournament, keep an eye out for them, the way that they play and their experience. So um, it will be interesting. And that golden generation has been fantastic. You mentioned those players. Um, of course, there are players behind them. But all good things sometimes come to an end Such as well. Such a small country. Such too. a small Such country. Such a good story. Just a lot of war back in the day when those kids were kind of young, very young. And I just I was listening to Modric's story on, on the Netflix documentary. It was very interesting to see. And I, I do... Want to shout out Turkey? I mean, I, I didn't really see that one coming, and I didn't expect Wales to kind of do much just because you know Joe Allen's getting up there. So is Anne Ramsey. We're seeing no bail, no, no bail. We're seeing we're seeing two teams like Croatia and Wales phase out all that talent that used to carry them, and we're seeing kind of a new team, Turkey, kind of make a run here. And so it'll be interesting to see what they can do in the Euros. And that's the beautiful thing about these tournaments as well as countries you wouldn't expect to see or, or nations potentially taking that big step forward. Another one of those big teams potentially in the future is, is in Group E, Daniel Albania sit atop the table, which is a, this is a very interesting group. Aside from the Faroe Islands, the other four remaining teams are still in it um, to, to potentially get a spot for that second place. You have uh, Czechia, Poland, and Moldova all within two points of each other. So second place here is going to be Quite the battle. Um, any thoughts here? Does, does the um, King Carol go back to Poland and, and, and take them to the promised land? Or well, He did. He did this last he match. Did. He scored and was the man of the match of the game, and you'd love to see that as, as Charlotte FC supporters. But, I mean, the fact that Poland's even in this position is pretty ridiculous with the talent they have. I mean, you got Lewandowski. You, you have so much talent on that roster, and they did fire their coach and hire arguably just as bad as the coach with Fernando Santos. Not a good hire by them. Um, and, and apparently he's already on the hot seat. I think, did they fire him as well? I can't remember if they he ended up getting fired or not. But Poland should not be in this position. Czech Republic has, has a decent team. But, I mean, shout out Albania. Don't know many players on that roster or the coach. But, I mean, they've done a hell of a job. And, of course, they're they're not guaranteed as well with, with Poland right behind them. Yeah. Um, but they, they obviously sit atop and... When you're a top, you, you feel pretty good about what you are. Uh, to your point about Carol Swiderski, if you haven't heard Danny Bram's uh, rant and, and raving about him in the most recent Charlotte Soccer Show episode, go over there and take a listen. Of course, they were talking about his entire performance for Poland and just how uh, and how great he was and whether or not he'll play for uh, Charlotte FC in a big game on Wednesday night. Probably not, but maybe Saturday. But You'll take a part, uh, apparently. For, uh, AKA Christian Latanzio said he might he'll play a part, which doesn't make me think he'll start, but he might get a nice little cameo at the at the end. Either way, he's a big player for Poland right now, especially with Robert Lewandowski's injury, um, like you mentioned, and, and kind of the talent that they have. Uh, but moving into Group F, Daniel, we have a of course for those of you if you haven't been paying attention to the news, a really scary, unfortunate situation yesterday during the the Belgium Sweden game, a terrorist attack in Belgium in Brussels postponed the game it was uh, called at halftime uh, they thankfully were able to find the suspect and, and kill him over the night but it was uh, it was pretty dire the fans were uh, told to stay in the stadium as you can imagine 10,000 fans trying to leave the stadium in, a, in an ongoing terrorist situation would, would have bad. been really bad uh, players evacuated and rushed to the airport for for Sweden and flown out immediately so a really scary situation last night of course you hope everyone's okay and, and um, this will have impacts on, on final process of qualification. I, I don't know if there's any plan yet of how that'll be um, handled, but uh, currently as it stands, pretty important game for Sweden, uh, although probably not going to make it. Both teams, Brussels, uh, Belgium and Austria, seem to have secured their spots. Uh, Sweden have been one of the more disappointing teams from my perspective, I Daniel. I, I think you feel the same way with the talent that they have. And, of course, Laton no, no longer part of the squad, but um, still a lot of talent on the Swedish side. Isak, Forsberg, you got a ton of talent on that team. And, and I mean, it's not an easy group with Belgium and, and, and um, Austria uh, with Ralf Regnick coaching uh, the Austrian side. And 
Did you see they started seven center mids in their in their starting eleven? Seven of like the most box the box midfielders you'll ever see, and somehow Ralph Regnick said, "You know what? <laughs> we're just gonna, we're starting all of them." And it would have been eight if Alaba was healthy, to oh, be no, honest. Exactly. So. Which I, I saw a, I saw some funny burner account or something tweet that, and I thought that was absolutely hilarious. So sorry not to give you your credit for that picture, but it was quite funny. Um, and to kind of move on, Hungary top the group, Serbia right behind, even though they could have sealed it today, but then they drew. Uh, they big went, draw, though. They were down 2-0 to they, Lithuania. Yep. Of all teams, Lithuania, and come back and get that, that big draw. That field was, I, I did tune in for the last couple minutes of that match, and that field was some of the worst I've ever seen, but Dominic Šobašlai, Liverpool player, slots a pen, and then um, I'm trying to remember his name. It's just lost it, but scored a, an equalizer, and, and they looked like they were the better team during this fixture, but hey, credit to Lithuania. Yeah, and, and of course, uh, one of the better groups is Group H here. Daniel, been very competitive all the way through. You have countries that uh, not a lot of people focus on or think about when you're thinking about you know, football, Kazakhstan and, and Finland, uh, but this group has been very competitive. Everyone has, well, not everyone, but four of the six teams have, have double-digit points. Hey, uh, Slovenia sit atop with, with Denmark, who, who you both expect to, to advance, uh, but not done yet. Uh, Kazakhstan right behind, four points back with two with a game in hand. Um, or are they done? Is this group done? This group might be done, actually. Apologize. Uh, so it does look like Slovenia and Denmark are going to advance from this group, but a good, strong group across the board no matter what. Uh, and then one group in, in one game left um, against Switzerland. Uh, to catch Romania in Group I. Uh, Israel, with everything that's going on there, not sure what their dynamic is going to be. They have two games remaining and four points back uh, for that second-place team. So an interesting one there in Group I to keep an eye up. It looks like Romania and Switzerland will probably advance. And then, Daniel, the last group that I know we've we've had our com fair conversation on <laughs> is Group J with Portugal, who clearly are the best team in this group, undefeated, eight wins out of eight, 24 points to the top of the table with Slovakia looking to be the second-place team here with 16 points. Um, the bigger conversation for us, though, Daniel, is where do you see Portugal going into this competition? And I have a feeling we don't agree on this. No, we, we definitely don't. Um, yeah, we, we did have this conversation the other day, and it was, it was very enjoyable for me. I, I might have ruined Matt's Friday afternoon with this one, but... Uh, I do want to do a top five power rankings in Europe as it stands today. And uh, do, would you like to go first or would you like me to start? No, no, please, please, <laughs> as you ruined my Friday, go first. Okay, uh, well, I'm going to go with France. Pretty pretty no-brainer there. Um, well, that's not what he said on Friday, so that's no, different. No, I did say that. That's not true. And then number two, I'm going to put, just based off recent performances, I will put England. Number three... I'm going to put Portugal. Number four, Spain. And number five, this was a tough one. Because I, I, I really was like, there's not that many teams that I like that much. But uh, with Nagelsmann and just seeing how they played, I am going to slot. I It was hard to judge Germany because you didn't know how Nagelsmann was going to set up. He's never coached a national team. He's only been a club manager. He's 30, what, seven years old. So it was pretty very, very variable-ish. But I, I will say Germany as, as the fifth team here. I can't disagree with the, the five. Um, I will say the order for me changes. Um, of course, England, France, co-favorites going into this. Germany, third favorite. Spain, fourth. And Portugal, fifth. That That is my order of the top five teams in Europe. Um, I... When Daniel mentions he ruined my Friday, he didn't actually ruin my Friday. I just... I have this very... Um, I wouldn't say hatred towards Portugal. I just don't like the nation from a football perspective. I've never been, so I can't say. I've heard wonderful things. I do want to go check it out. It's um, pretty cool. It's, I've heard it's fantastic. Lisbon, one of the best cities in the world. Yeah. But from a football perspective, of course, they've they've beaten France in the 2016 uh. Euro Championship, which we should have won. We're not going to go there. Uh, if you go back even further to the you know World Cup in 20, 2006 with Ronaldo crying all over the field, you know that's always been for me just kind of the the animosity towards the Portuguese national team. Now, if you look at the the players on paper, 
fantastic roster, top to bottom. I think they're a little bit weak in the back, but they have serviceable enough players for 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 this tournament. I think they're stronger. You know, England, of course, top to bottom is too deep at every position. Same with France. Um, you know, Germany, when they're at their full strength, could be arguably the same, but they're still strong top to bottom. In Spain, uh, you never know what exactly what you're going to get. I think for me, the biggest differentiator is the manager, and I think Roberto Martinez disappointed with the golden generation of Belgium and and what can he do now with these this Portuguese side I I still I'm not, I don't I'm not sold on him and that's why I have him the fifth see the the reason I I'm so high other than just the insane talent that is star-studded with this Portugal squad and you get a lot of young talent that has plenty of time to develop and before the Euros with uh you know like you have a Ruben Diaz who's he's been fantastic and I I don't think his Roberto Martinez is decisions with what how he's going to play Cristiano Ronaldo within the next six months is going to be very interesting to watch he played and started both matches uh this this week so I was pretty surprised by that not to give you know Adil Jota or Jao Felix a start um but I think that the old manager Fernando Santos was way worse than Martinez so by default you should see a better result now do I think Portugal can win they can win, but I do. I'm not exactly sold on Roberto Martinez. But if we're looking at just purely talent. Um, they're definitely top three. And you bring up a point that I'm curious about your opinion of. I, I, regardless of if you're Team Messi or Team Ronaldo, and that's a different debate that we're having. Is Portugal better with Ronaldo on the field or off the field for this tournament? Uh, of course, his age. He puts the ball in the net. Now, granted, the teams that they played in the qualification were really, were, weak. Were really weak. And so, and he's playing a weak squad in, in Saudi Arabia. It is, again, is he, ben, is he going to benefit this Portuguese team during the Euros if he plays? If he comes off the bench, I do. I think that if you need... Can he? Will he be willing to come off the bench? That is, that's the problem. And, and you're 38 years old, 37, 38 years old. I mean, you you got to know at some point that it's time to have that leadership in the in the locker room and not be chasing records still. And I just find it ridiculous that. And we've even seen Messi in qualification matches. He doesn't even play sometimes because first you like if he goes down, who's going to step him up? You need these players to have this big game experience. Number one, number two, I just I think that Jao Felix or Dio Jota or. And Kyle Ramos offer a lot more than he does, just dynamically as a team. And, and Ronaldo doesn't play defense, and, and some of those players are going to play as a team. And so, if you need a goal in the 70th minute, hell yeah, you throw on Ronaldo and you go get yourself. You pump it into the box. But I, I wouldn't say start, especially six months from now. No. I totally agree with you. And again, he's not playing the most, you know, fierce competition in, in club either. So I think six months from now, it's a different dynamic. You mentioned Messi in Argentina. Of course, they've they've already started to you know remove him from consistent play. You, you, we talked about this before. Who is the manager that's going to tell Lionel Messi it's time for you to put it down? I think it's been a conversation with Scalini that they've they've kind of mutually agreed on it. Um, you know, great that that he's part of Comabel qualif- World Cup qualification, which is going on right now. But they don't need him. They're going to qualify yeah. regardless, right? Um, but again, you're starting to see the way that they're going to play without him. Having Alvarez and, and Latero Martinez up top as a two two striker system. Um, for me, you know, as we as we do transition into Comabao, which again is going on as we speak. Venezuela is up currently one nothing on on Chile. Um, big big result if Venezuela can hold on for that. Their first potentially their first World Cup qualification ever in their history of the nation. Uh, a long way to go. Uh, for them and for for Kamabal. it's a long process for that that um, federation and their qualification process. But you know, it's an interesting conversation of how you how you eliminate some of these iconic players. And, and you mentioned Messi, and 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 of course we're not, we're talking about Ronaldo. For me, I think you keep him as a way to to. Motivate. Have him on the motivate and have him off the bench if you need him in the 75th minute. My only concern is whether or not Roberto Martinez has the will, will with all and, the, and the, the strength as a manager to say to Ronaldo, "Hey man, sorry, it's not your time anymore. We we need you in certain aspects, but 
your time as the starting as the man for Portugal is is over. I don't I don't think he does. And I mean, Portugal were winless. They've had this ter- this this qualification done and dusted for for like two windows now. So why on earth would you not want to play and experiment and see maybe the French players? Because Ronaldo's like like we said, they're they're old, so they could drop at any moment. Like you see, Messi hurt his hamstring and couldn't even participate in the international qualifiers. That could happen with Ronaldo in a second. And if some of these players like are scared of the spotlight because they have to fill that those shoes, like that's not what you want to see, and that doesn't make you confident in Portugal to go far. So it's just character and just knowing when to hang them up to and and to kind of switch your role. And we've seen that with other sports. We've seen that with soccer. We've, we've seen that plenty of times before. And so it's just disappointing to see, you know, legends of the game. Sometimes they don't know when to, you know, not even to walk away, but when to just know that they're not the same player that they were. And, but they still have something to give. I will say this conversation has been a lot more tame than I thought it was based off our text conversation <laughs> on Friday. Totally in agreement on, on a lot of these points with you. And um, of all the teams that Daniel could have mentioned to me is it, the reason why this came about to be to let's just set the table so everyone knows what's going on. I may have gotten a little carried away with how much better I thought France was than everybody okay, else. Thank you, thank you. I still stand by it. No, I, I stand by. I, I I was agreeing with you the entire time. You said by a mile, and I said I don't know about that. A okay. mile is. It's, it's hard to map out how much a team is better by a mile, but that just sounded like a bit of a stretch for, you know, England who went to the Euros. England went far in, in every single competition that I can remember in the last, what, five to ten years. Yes, France did win a World Cup. Or lost, they went to the World Cup final, excuse me. And they, won one. They, and they won one, but they also lost to a 36-year-old Messi. So, all right. But... But I don't want to bring up. But yes, we. I think we were one of the greatest games of all time. Finals, by the instant way. Classic, Let's just say that. Instant classic. And I was actually in Aruba for that, and a lot of Argentina supporters. So that was a very fun day for me. But yes, I, I do agree. I think we're in agreement. You're also saying Portugal doesn't touch touch your top five, and I was very concerned for your your mental health for a second, and I, I had to check up on you. But I'm glad we're in agreement now. I did watch the Netherlands play Greece, and it changed my opinion. <laughs> and so, yes, Portugal will be in my top five. Okay. Now, you mentioned watching Argentina, and we mentioned the World Cup a couple times. Like I said, there is World Cup qualifying going on, Daniel, in, in South America. Uh, Brazil, we also mentioned before, mentioned Venezuela taking a point off Brazil. But the bigger story for me, which, A, that's a big story that Brazil dropped points to Venezuela, get the draw. They don't lose, but they get a draw at home. Yeah. But Daniel, there was a bigger story that came out of this match, and that is Neymar and his appearance or his view with the fans of the Brazilian national team and the Brazilian nation as a whole. Of course, if you haven't seen fans threw popcorn at him as he walked off the field, where do you stand on Neymar, and and how how does this impact Brazil going forward? They've of course they have a huge match tonight. Uh, against Uruguay, uh, which could be, if, if anything happens in that match, the world may be on fire, yeah. um, just given how important Brazil feels about the, their nation as a footballing nation. But going back to it, where does Neymar stand for you? Kind of in that same light that we were just talking about with, with Ronaldo, um, where does Neymar fit in the squad and, and does he carry them? Do they only go as far as Neymar can carry them? No, but... I mean, Neymar is the top goal scorer for Brazil of all time. I mean, we're talking, talking Pele. We're, we're talking some insane names that could be talked in the same breath of the best of all time. So, so to, for, for, I mean, I don't think a Brazilian fan would have ever thrown popcorn at, at Pele. Pele also won a World Cup, so I guess there's a little bit of difference. But, but Neymar has done a lot. He's, he, he got, you know, he almost broke his back, almost got paralyzed. Uh, in the World Cup, of, what the last one? I think that was the previous World Cup, and, and he's Russia. given everything for for this team. So it's a, a bit of a shame for Brazil fans to turn on him like they have. Now Neymar is a very he's an enigma as a person. You know, like most Brazilian good players are, they like to party, they like to do this, and and not all fans agree with their lifestyle. But when they get on a football pitch, it's they turn it on. So. I, I, I mean, you have Vinicius Jr., you have Rodrigo up top that could replace him at a, at a moment's notice. 
Do they have a, I mean, Roberto Firmino kind of went to Qatar, so do they have a number nine? Can Gabby Jesus be that guy? That's really the question that I'm asking. I don't, I'm not really worried about the winger position, but uh, we've, we've, we've mentioned a lot of these national teams, and there's been a coaching carousel after these big tournaments, and, you know, Brazil has a new coach. Is, is he going to figure out quickly, or those Brazil fans are going to be throwing popcorn or maybe worse things at him? Yeah, of course, I think the Brazilian managing position's a little different and than the rest of them with, of course, everyone knows uh, Carlo Ancelotti will take over that role once the season's over for Real Madrid. So, and, and I don't think, I don't foresee, again, like I mentioned, they have a huge matchup tonight against Uruguay with the new manager and Marcelo, Marcelo Bielsa. Yeah. Um, if they don't qualify, I think there's a lot of issues that they're probably boiling up more than the manager of Brazilian national team. But I think they'll be fine until Ancelotti comes in. And then, of course, you're looking at one of the most talented rosters of all time yeah. in, in any position of any nation. Uh, but there are concerns. I mean, Richarlison is not your number nine. We've seen that in the yeah. Premier League for Tottenham. He's not that. He's not going to be that guy for you. Can Gabriel Jesus carry them? But they don't have that Ronaldo or that Ronaldinho type player anymore. And it seems like they're missing that. Neymar plays more in the middle, Romer, Rover, all over yeah. the field type of guy. And so for me, that's an interesting dynamic that I think they need to figure out long term is, is can they find another Ronaldo, the original Ronaldo, not Ronaldo Cristiano um, or Pele. Where is that going to come from? But I think the, ultimately they'll be okay um, for qualifying. And then from there, it's... Of course, like Germany in, in Europe, the standard is semifinal or final and yeah, win it. Or bust. And, yeah. and that's otherwise the nation, you know, is, is crazy. Same with Argentina. Um, so, that, you know, there's an interesting dynamic there. And then, of course, you know, 2030 World Cup is a whole different story altogether. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I just think that so many of these nations just depend on one player to get them yeah. far. And if you just play the correct system, then especially with Brazil because you just have so much talent you don't need to depend on Neymar or Vinicius if you just play as a team then you don't need a star Ronaldo number nine just just play as a team don't depend on individual brilliance and just play as a team play together and they're gonna just start clapping teams and it's not even gonna be we're not even gonna we're gonna figure out we even had this conversation and I do think that that's the difference now between that generation of Brazil versus this generation yeah. right I think you know you had your Roberto Carlos you had your Kaká you had um, uh, so, many. so many names yeah. you can I don't want to put anyone out and forget anybody but I think now this this new Brazilian side is more individual players versus that collective and um, if Neymar doesn't develop and deliver for you you know Rodrigo mentioned he's still our guy he's still the yeah. player and if he doesn't deliver he has every right for the fans to be upset with him now maybe not throwing popcorn at the guy but um, you know that's a different conversation but there is a team in in Kamabal, Daniel that seems to be more a little bit more of a collective um, and we mentioned them briefly with their new manager Marcelo Bielsa is Uruguay can they be a, a little bit of a sneaky kind of competitor to Argentina and Brazil they're cer currently sitting fourth again a huge matchup tonight Brazil versus Uruguay in Uruguay um, what can Uruguay do and and can they surprise you know this group this region I, I genuinely believe so um, I think you could not have gone a better hire than Marcelo Bielsa, um, especially with your spine that you have. You have, you know, Darwin Nunez, you have Ugarte, you have um, Ronald Arojo, um, and how could we get Federico Valverde for, for Real Madrid? This heavy metal pressing style fits all of them, and, you know, if you just counter on the break and, and can keep the ball, then they're just going to kill teams, and I... I I think this is the best best Uruguay team we've seen since. Uh, I mean, we've seen a couple good ones with you know Cavani and Suarez up top, but you know Diego Forlan back in the day, 2010, was a fantastic team as he kind of carried them. So this might be the best uh, Uruguay team I've seen in a while. Top to bottom, I do think this is one of the best teams that we've seen in a long time. Of course, um, like I mentioned, Kamabal qualification process is a very long, extensive. They've they're starting now for a 2026 is, World I Cup. Even, I didn't even, like, hand up. I didn't even realize this was World Cup. I thought this was, like, Copa America or something. No, this is for World Cup, and that's how long this process is. And um, something that, I, you know, we've talked about, and I want to get your thoughts on quickly. It's hard for me to bring this conversation up, Daniel, is 
the 2030 World Cup and just your thoughts on and I understand so just for, for those that don't don't haven't been paying attention the 2030 World Cup is now going to be contested over six nations essentially three continents six nations all six countries will automatically qualify for a tournament that will then already have had 48 teams yep what what has FIFA done here and are we seeing the of course I don't think we'll ever see the demise of the World Cup I think the importance of it will always remain but it's diminished a little bit by it's this isn't start. it it's a start and it's a disgrace and and the fact that you're having people move around, not even country to country in the same continent they're moving continents to go across what is the Atlantic Ocean to go to play in South America not, for three games for just three, three games. games and I'm, I'm I flew from from New York to Portugal and that was not a fun flight so I can't imagine being a player trying to play one of the biggest games of your life maybe of your career and you have to you know endure that travel it's just stupid it's the definition of capitalism and corruption and just selling your soul for a dollar I'm sure this was done so that they can hit off multiple continents in one go and give you know Saudi Arabia the, the 2034 bid I'm sure that's that's very not good thinking of me but I think that's the only way it makes sense um, so it's just pretty disgusting. I think the president needs to get fired. I just think they need to just clean slate and get back to basics and stop. I understood doing the, like what we're doing in 2026 with Canada, Mexico, like a whole uh, continent. But the fact that you're moving now intercontinental is ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't stress enough. And if FIFA, if you're listening... Um, this is all about corruption and, and money. I don't care if you hear me watch say that. Watch the documentary. Yeah, watch it. Um, the, of course, for those that aren't aware, uh, the first World Cup was 1930 in, in Uruguay, um, and 2030 will be the 100-year anniversary, which is why they are trying to have a game played in Montevideo uh, to be a commemorative 100-year anniversary game. To that point, Daniel, I agree with you. Why not just play the entire tournament in Uruguay or in South America and be done with it? But like you said, this is all money grab, and this is to be set up so that Saudi Arabia gets the World Cup in 2034. We saw how Qatar went. We did, and it's a disgrace. And to me, you're diminishing one of the greatest tournaments of all time in any sport across the world. Uh, You know, I wasn't a huge fan of the three continent, the three countries with our situation. I definitely wasn't a fan of 48 teams. Um, Why not just have 200 teams in the tournament and let's just call it? Let's just go. Let's just get everyone in it and just play from there. And best team wins. Um, but to me, this is a disgrace, uh, and, and it's something that FIFA needs to really take a look in the mirror. And, and maybe one day they will, but uh, it's a it's a long time coming for At them this to get point, there. Just play it in March and have it be the second March Madness, like college basketball. It's just so fucking stupid. And I don't even I'm getting I'm getting all upset right now, so I don't even I want to keep the good vibes rolling. So just real quick, just a couple friendlies that we didn't mention. You know, Japan hammers Canada humbling result for Canada just CONCACAF it's just not doing so hot right now and it's it's not very positive to see because that means that diminishes the US wins when you beat a Canada or a Mexico um, but hey shout out Japan they've had some huge results they kind of had their coming out party in the World Cup in Qatar and, and they're kind of keeping the good vibes rolling. Korea another team as well who've been um, of course haven't been playing great competition but They've been they've been dominant six goals today as well. So um, Jurgen Klinsmann getting Sonny and, and the boys ready for for Another what they coach. have uh, to go. Um, you mentioned you know Japan and then of course Mexico beating Ghana. Um, Jimenez coming off the bench, which has been surprising to us. He's been fantastic in for in the Eredivisie and just uh, a lot of talk about where he's going to go next, but. Having him on the bench, uh, but they still beat Ghana. To another Jimenez. Yeah. So I guess you could be confused. Santiago Jimenez is the player we're referring to. Raul Jimenez has done, I mean, he is starting for full on most days, but he's not doing much. So the fact that you're going with a 31, 32-year-old uh, striker uh, over one of the most informed strikers on the entire in the entire planet right now is it's pretty wild, but I do expect him to, to get the start against Germany tonight. 
And we've talked about AFCON, and we'll definitely touch on it as that tournament kicks off. But two teams, two of the favorites, I know you've been very high on Nigeria, but two teams that are arguably the favorite for this tournament, Morocco and Ivory Coast, they, they do get a draw against each other in a preview for arguably probably the, the final or one of the you know projected finals. Um, and then, of course, today we already talked about France uh, and how strong they are. They beat Scotland 4-1, uh, to one, and Mbappe gets another goal. Uh, of course, Billy Gilmore gets the opener, so Scotland takes the lead, but France puts the hammer down. Another win just continues to keep moving on, and, and another win, another day. Just another Chelsea graduate scoring. That's neither here nor there, Daniel. <laughs> we can talk about later. But uh, before we go to the break, we mentioned at the beginning we have a few new changes or announcements that we wanted to give you guys a heads up on. Uh, Daniel and I, as we had this break, we, we had a chance to discuss, and we wanted to make sure we were giving you guys as much information and usable content as possible. So with that, we are adding a second episode each week. Do not be confused. The main episode will still be aired on Monday and be a recap of all of the game's actions from the weekend. But we also wanted to give you guys a preview and predictions of the week ahead. We felt that we weren't giving you guys those score lines or potential game matchups that we thought were some of the biggest areas. And additionally, we also wanted to give Daniel a chance to highlight just some of his best bets. Uh, and so that will be the focus of the, the midweek show, which will air Thursday. We'll also be able to cover Champions League and Europa League as that kicks off and continues to, to kind of impact the schedule. But, um, of course, there will be ample opportunity to engage with us. You can follow and be part of the conversation on X at Full Time Roundup. And please download, give us a, five, a follow and a five-star rating wherever you get your podcast from. But, again, two episodes going forward, Monday and Thursday. And on the other side of the break, Daniel, we will start that preview as well as get into your best bets. So um, I know I need another one. You need another one. And like I said, on the other side of the break, we'll have those predictions and best bets. So we'll be right back. Very solid. Trust me, I know. And welcome back. Um, Daniel, I know we got another Czech Pilsner here. I know you got a game to get to uh, for those of us that are not as um, young, athletic, athletic and good looking and all the above. Uh, Daniel still plays. I, I, I casually play here and there, but uh, Daniel has a game, so he's got to run to. But we, like I said, on the, on the front end of the break, a new segment that we're going to add, and, and of course will be part of the show, is the preview segment of the games to come. We've, we've been away from domestic games for a couple, couple weeks now with the international window. But I miss it. I did miss it. I'm ready. I'm ready for it. I didn't think I'd miss it as much as I did, but I did. And we have games Friday, Daniel. So it's back to Friday, and then Can't games wait. on Monday. So it's, it's thick and fast once again. We're back. We're back. But the one game that we've talked about because there's a lot of ramifications upon it. Not only is it a derby, it's an early kick for Liverpool. Bullshit. Per usual, that is exactly what I was expecting as the response. Is the Merseyside Derby, Liverpool and Everton. Daniel, give us your preview. Look, I, I'm not even going to go into the rant of what is Liverpool's record on, on early kickoffs and as well as the selection of us being almost double the amount of times as an early kickoff after an international break in the last or in the entire Jurgen Klopp era. That's neither here nor there. It's just stupid. But especially I hate that it's at 730 for such a great game. The Merseyside Derby is, is very historic and and it's very lopsided, but it got kind of crazy last several years. We've seen some horrific injuries. You know, Tiago Alcantara hurt his ankle very badly. Virgil van Dijk tore his ACL. We've seen some horrific, horrible challenges. Should be a, a scrappy one. I can't even imagine what this is going to look like with Sean Deitch squad in there. It could be even uglier than I'm even getting it credit for. So genuinely don't know how this one's going to go. I think Liverpool obviously win, but how badly or how close it is, couldn't tell you. I'm not going to let you get out of here without a score prediction, so give me a score. I'm going to go 3-1 Liverpool. I'll take it. I like I, it. With like a like a 90-second minute goal. like To, to get the third? Yeah, yeah. That's fair. That's fair. Probably a red card here and there and there oh, somewhere. Oh, for sure. Um, and then, of course, there's another big game in the Premier League, Daniel. I feel like there's a lot of big games this week. Big games, um, 
Manchester City, who we've we've kind of alluded to some of their struggles. They get to go up against the Zerbi ball right out of the gates after the break. This is a big game for both teams, Daniel. If you're Brighton, you're kind of happy you're catching City off the international break yeah. with, with all their players that do play internationally. Does Zerbi ready for, for this challenge, or, or is it another stinker like we saw against Aston Villa? Well, they, they played well against against Liverpool. I'll give them credit for that, but I, I do not think that it will bode well for them, especially if they try to do what they usually do, which is play out of the back and just commit to it. So, uh, you know, they play very high line. They play very risky football, and it does look pretty, and it does work out for them against, you know, equal opponents. But I do think City with Rodri back and, and you know, Holland's probably pissed that Norway didn't qualify. I would expect him to get a couple. So I'm thinking this might be pretty bad. I'm going to say 4-1 City. Rodri being back is a huge lift for them. Uh, I will say 2-2. Two, 2-2. Two. Two, two. I'll take the draw here. Yeah, I'm here for it. I'm all for City dropping points. Anytime City drop points, it's not a bad day. For anybody. For anybody. And we know, like we said last episode, that they'll make a run at some point. So... The more points they can drop now, the better. So I'm going to ask you about this next one because I know you're probably. I really up was with not nice looking. <laughs> I was really hoping this one wasn't on here, but I knew it would be at it some point. It had to. It's a London derby here with Chelsea and Arsenal. Are you? Is it at Stanford Bridge? It is. Okay, so how? What are the vibes going into this match? Concerned. <laughs> That's probably the correct word you could use here. But, uh, I, I think the way that we went into the break was a huge lift for us. Um, I think I'm going to go with a 2-1 Chelsea win. I think Chelsea, I mentioned the top six, and I still stand by it. I think the way that we've been playing, we saw the ball go in the net the last couple games. Teams look better. We didn't have, you know, mid-season, mid-season, mid-week games, um, which we can focus on in the Premier League. Solely, I'll, I'll go two one, two one Chelsea here. I'm gonna go the the opposite of that. I'm gonna go two one Arsenal. I think the injuries continue to mount up for Chelsea. I think that the fact that Bukayo Saka did not go and play international break means he's gonna be healthy for this fixture, and I think that it's not gonna be a convincing result and it's gonna be close. But I do think Arsenal is gonna get the edge here. Christopher Nkunku working out. Not ready for this one, ready. but he's getting close. And a little, little sneak peek, little but sneak peek. I do think that if Arsenal can beat City right before the break, they're going to want to hit the ground running with this fixture, and I think they will get the three points. Sorry, Matt. No, it's a great great shout. I think it's going to be a tough one. I, I think I'm being a little bit biased in my opinion, but I do think we pull it out. 2-1, though, is the scoreline I have. Either way, I think it's probably the right scoreline. Now, a team that's been putting up goals in bunches, Daniel, and then seemingly going away and being non-existent is Aston Villa. They have a big game against West Ham, who had a huge result against Newcastle before the break. Thoughts on this one? This is a pretty big top six matchup here. I think this is going to be a 2-2 draw. I I don't see much of an edge for either team here. Um, West Ham have been playing so well. James Ward-Prowse didn't get called up, so he's rested. Um, which definitely helps them, and he's pissed off. So, so I, I, I do like both teams in this match. Both had a, d a couple players play in the international break. I think West Ham got to rest more guys, so maybe that's a slight edge. But it is at Villa Park, so I'm going to just go with a safe 2-2 draw here. I'll go 3-1 Villa. I think Villa are for wow. real. Uh, West Ham are also for real, but I think Unai Emery finds a way. 3-1 out of the break. Uh, and you'll see Villa start to push for that top six position and, and kind of solidify that. Helps my position, my prediction at least. Though. Would it help you, yeah. Now moving away from the Premier League, of course there are games across all of Europe. Uh, Daniel, the one that we've highlighted for La Liga is, is Barcelona. The injuries they have, of course, they're looking to El Clasico in a couple weeks, but they have Athletic Bilbao first. Thoughts here, Bilbao is one of your top four picks originally, and then Barcelona is your super squad champion so this is a tough one for you here yeah i'm, I'm pretty conflicted and, and barca the injuries continue to, to rack up kind of like chelsea so even though it is at their technically home it's not the the um spotify camp now um, i'm gonna say it's gonna be a 2-2 draw um i think that athletic bill bauer just healthier here and, and can take advantage of that but 
But Barca have shown a lot of fights, so I do think they'll at least get a point here. Or I'm hoping at least. Barca have been cute, confusing for me. We've talked about it. Uh, just slow out of the blocks. I think a 1-1 draw here for this one uh, is, is an interesting result and something that will keep Barca in it, but they need to turn it around quickly and some of those injuries need to, to stop uh, adding up. Uh, in Syria, Odd, Daniel, a team that we've, of course, been high on, Milan, AC Milan, that is. And then they have a, a tough matchup against a sneaky good Juventus team. Uh, this is a big one for not only for Syria A, but also for Champions League yes. and for other competitions. Um, give us your, your thoughts here on this one. I think AC Milan win 2-1. Um, not really sure if Chiesa and Vlahovic is back. Both Neither traveled for, for the uh, international break. So if they're back, then maybe that gives it's more equal, but I, I don't think they will be playing in this match. I think Issa Milan will have rested a couple guys, and, and Rafael and Christian Pulisic and Co. did play, but but uh, I don't think that's going to be a problem for them, and I think that Milan do get the result at home in the San Zero. Travel will be tough for, for some of Milan's key players, more so than Juventus, I think. Of course, Weston McKinney, but and Tim uh, Timwea, yeah, but you're looking at Yunus Musa and Christian Pulisic traveling. Uh, give me Milan, 1-0. One 1-0. Nil. One nil. I'll take 1-0 Scrappy, but Milan gets That's the That's Allegri ball right there, so that makes sense. It does. Uh, the only game that we selected, Daniel, for, for the Bundesliga is our favorite right now to win it um, is Bayer Leverkusen versus a tricky Wolfsburg who you've talked about. For me, this is a 3-0 win for Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, tell me otherwise, or or are you in agreement? No, I like that I like that prediction, 3-1. Um, Leverkusen are the best away um, currently in the Bundesliga, Wolfsburg got beat 3-1 to Stuttgart, which was kind of a surprising result for me. So I'm going to go ahead and, and thank that Leverkusen take this one. Well, we gave you our very, very rough thought-out predictions. But I know Daniel has put a lot of thought into his bets here. This is not a thought-out segment above, but this segment is one that he has definitely, like I said, put a lot of thought in. And... I mentioned it. I cannot be part of this segment. So I'm going to just pass it over to you, my friend, who had an amazing front half of the season. International break. We did not make any predictions or bets. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that. I didn't make any predictions <laughs> or bets. But tell us your domestic picks, Daniel, as we head back into the first weekend of the domestic leagues. So just to recap our record, uh, or my record at least, two, two and four in mortals. Um, 20, 11, and 2 in best bets, 5 and 7 parlays, up 24 units. A unit is what you bet on just a usual bet. So that's $25, then 25 times 24 would get you what I'm up this year. Um, so going back to domestic, my mortal lock is Real Madrid Moneyline versus Sevilla. They are almost even odds, and I think that is – one of the dumbest lines I think I've ever seen. So that is a absolute hammer spot. We're gonna risk to win three units here. Um, my parlay is Girona versus Almeria, Liverpool versus Everton, City versus Brighton, and Bayern versus Mines at a crisp plus 250, 2.5 to one odds. Um, not as juicy as we usually get, but I, I just couldn't really find any um, other legs to make it more juicy because I just love Real Madrid money line at that mortal. And then for the best bets, we got three that I'll tweet out and one bonus bet that I'll just give you on this pod. Um, for the first best bet, over three and a half, City Brighton. You know, we see Brighton's on this uh, sheet a lot, and it's because they love scoring goals and they love conceding goals. So I think this match is probably going to end up with six goals, but I'll take the three and a half. Um, Stuttgart, Union Berlin, over two and a half. I Scurasi, 11 goals in seven games. I mean, or no, is it 13? I can't remember. 13. 13, excuse me. And, and Union Berlin have been really bad. I think that this match soars over two and a half goals. And go ahead and book it. Monaco versus Mets over three. You can get three and a half if you want to get a little juicier odds. But I'm going with three here for the safe pick. I think this match, you know, we, we love to bet Monaco on this pod, so we're going to continue with that, and I think that is in no sweat cash. And then my bonus bet is a match we've already talked about, Wolfsburg-Leverkusen over three. 
Leverkusen are one of my favorite teams to bet on the over, and they're going to continue to do so. They're going to put at least two or three against Wolfsburg, and there's no way that Wolfsburg don't get one here, so I love that bet. You heard it here, folks. Take it. Up 24 units. Bye, bye, bye. And I can't wait to recap all these victories on Monday. Daniel, you mentioned it earlier. We both miss it. We're excited that it's back. Uh, folks, if you if you don't put the bets in and, and aren't taking advantage of Daniel cleaning out his bookie, uh, that's on you. Um, but either way, I'm going to watch him. I'm going to watch all the games. Absolutely. Uh, I can smell Benny's. It's kind of calling my name right now. But, uh, you know, Daniel, we, we covered a lot here. International breaks, always a tricky time. Like I said before, folks, we'll have a, a recap episode for the Domestic League on, on Monday, and then we'll preview next week's matches on Thursday. So stick with us. Again, follow us and, and be part of the conversation. We'll have our uh, XI again on Sunday or Monday. Um, we'd love to hear your thoughts on who should be part of that XI. Again, you can interact with us on X at Full Time Roundup. Uh, download us anywhere you get your podcast and leave us a five-star rating. And as always, we'll see you in the next roundup. Yeah, well, if Ronaldinho can drink beers and party before a game, I hope I can do it tonight. So You got thank it. You, thank thank you, you got for it. listening, guys, and, and we'll see you next week.